0: to Romans chapter 4 verse 13 I'm gonna wind up our series today the best is yet to come listen I, I know some of you have a tendency to see the glass a little half empty all right you just naturally see things and you can fix problems and honestly sometimes it's because it's the way that God's actually wired you But what we need to learn how to do is learn to adjust some of the ways that we're looking at things and adjust the way that we're seeing things and start believing in the goodness of God. Start believing that the best is yet to come. Listen, today's the first day of the rest of your life. I know, I know that some of you have dealt with some things in your past, you're dealing with some things right now, you've walked through some things, you've, you've missed the mark in some areas of your life, and the enemy is constantly beating you up, telling you you're never going to change. In fact, some of you have even given up trying to change some things in your life, but I want you to know today that the best is yet to come the best is yet to come. And I think that there are a lot of you that are beginning to believe that, some of you for the very first time, that the best is yet to come. Some of you might ask, well, Pastor Richie, how on earth can you say that to us? How on earth can you make that bold declaration that the best is yet to come? You don't know my circumstance. You don't know my situation. You don't know the challenge that I'm dealing with. You don't know what, is, what it is that I'm facing or my family's facing that's affecting me today. And you're absolutely right. And I think it's a great question. But here's what I do know. I do know my God. I do know my God. And I know my God is good. I know that he's for me today and he's not against me. Some of you don't know that, but he's actually for you today. And I do know his word. I do know the promises that God has given us in his word today. So today my confidence is not in what I see. My confidence is not in how I feel. My confidence is rooted in who my God is, who I am in him, and the promises that I find in his word. And when I look at his promises, I can tell you that I have confidence today to recognize the best is yet to come. And I'm telling you, if some of you will just get up in the morning and the first thing that you do is start saying over your life, the best is yet to come, you're going to start believing it. If you get up in the middle of the day and you deal with a challenge and suddenly the enemy starts to tell you, you're going to get stuck again, you're going back to fail God again, you can start saying over your life, the best is yet to come but just before you go to bed at night and you're having all these thoughts of all the things you've got to do tomorrow all the challenges that you're faced you can start saying over your life the best is yet to come and I'm telling you if you'll say it at the beginning you will see it at the end your tongue has the power of life and death and you can change what it is that you currently believe into what it is that you actually need to believe simply saying it over your life man I'm a little wound up today I thought, and I thought this morning I woke up grumpy. I kind of elbowed her on the way out of bed and, no, no, I'm actually talking about myself. The best is yet to come. But listen, at some point in our lives, we've got to make a decision that we're actually going to believe and trust the Word of God. There is an all-out attack against the Word of God today. That the Word of God is just some book with some good stories in it. There's some good principles. Listen, that, that is not just a good book. It is the good book. Amen. And it is filled with life today. And when we begin to stand on the Word, believe the Word, and trust the Word, well, look here what the Word of God says about the Word of God. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 3 says that all Scripture, right. all Scripture from beginning to end is God-breathed. It's inspired divinely by God. And it's useful for teaching. Listen, the Word of God is useful for teaching you and I, to develop our doctrine about what it is we believe, to develop our theology about what we believe about God. Listen, sometimes we get so stuck in a meology that we don't recognize God wants us to develop a theology. Because when you're pointing to him and looking at him all the time, you start seeing his goodness, his goodness begins to change you. So it's useful for teaching. It's useful for rebuking. Now, we don't like that very much, do we? But you know what the rebuking is? Stop doing that. You're flipping people off down the road? Stop doing that. You're cussing your boss out? Stop doing that. You're not showing up for work? Stop doing that. You're being lazy at work, stop doing that. It's for rebuking and it's for correcting. Now you think, well, that's the same thing. No, the word correcting means to make an adjustment. It literally means to straightening up again. Meaning you kind of begin to understand something. The rebuking is you just didn't know. Yeah, I just, I didn't realize that that I'm not supposed to have sex outside of marriage. So the word of God teaches us about that. So it rebukes us. But then once I know it, now it's correcting. It's straightening out again. I'm, I'm off track a little bit. Okay, okay, okay. It's straightening out again, and it's training in righteousness. It's one of the most important things for you to understand: is righteousness. To understand that you are in right standing with God today, Pastor. Rich, you don't know what I did yesterday, this morning. Like I said last week, last week in Vegas. You don't know what I did. Listen, you you can't get any more right with God than you are. Now, your behaviors can get better, but it's who you are that's training in righteousness. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus today. Why? So that the servant or the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that everything that you're doing in life, you can be thoroughly equipped. So that you can be equipped to understand things at your job that you currently don't understand that are more creative, that advance your company or advance even your career. So that you can understand as a man or as a woman how to act properly with someone that you're married to so you don't make jokes about your wife every time you get up on the stage. (laughs) Some of us are still learning some stuff. Here's how I know that the best is yet to come. Because God is more concerned about you succeeding in your success than you are. Moms and dads, grandparents especially, man, think about it this way. How, How concerned are you for your kids or grandkids to succeed? Man, you want it, listen, God wants it to an infinite number. He's given us his promises all throughout his word. And he's showing you and I the inheritance that he actually has for us. It's like reading the will and the testament of understanding what it is that God has for you. And God's desire to give you things, to do things, to work in your life is not based upon your performance. We like to say it this way. God's not into behavior modification. He's into life transformation. Now, your, your, your behavior will become modified once you get transformed on the inside. That's what God wants is an inside-out approach. And so that is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's how you and I became righteous. We placed our faith in Jesus, so it's a righteousness by faith. It's not a righteousness based on my works. It's not a righteousness based upon how I feel. It's a righteousness by faith. By simply placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you become an heir to all of the promises that you find in God's word. That's how I know the best is yet to come. Because God's word is filled with you're a conqueror. That you're more than. That you're the head. That you're not, and not the tail. That you're above and not beneath. Well, but gee, is that really true? Let me show you in today's passage I want to look at. It. Romans chapter 4 verse 13 says this. For the promise that he, and this is talking about Abraham, would be an heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law but through the righteousness of faith. Again, simply by placing your trust in Jesus and receiving a righteousness by faith, God says that you are going to inherit the world. Now, I want to ask you this. Can you inherit the world if you're sick and flat on your back? Can you inherit the world if you're broke? I'll help you with the tough ones. No, all right? (laughs) That's why we've been looking at this verse from Hebrews chapter 10. Remember, I woke up a little grumpy, so y'all give me a little grace today, right? That's why we've been looking at this verse from Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Confidence, self-confidence, look how good I am. Absolutely not. Confidence in who your God is and who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ, for which has a great reward. It has a great reward. Christianity is a get-to, not a have-to. It really is good news when we really begin to understand it. But if you think it's about the law and about performance, it's horrible. It's about trying and striving all the time. And no matter how good you're doing, the enemy is constantly whispering, boy, if you did just a little bit better, then you'd see breakthrough in your life. Listen, I don't, I don't care what you've done in your past. I don't care what you're walking through right now. God has made you a promise that you are going to be an heir. Listen, don't let other people talk you out of it. There, There are some Christians that are still bound up in the law. God bless them. I mean, honestly, really, I pray that they can get a revelation of understanding that it's not by works, lest any man should boast. Don't talk yourself out of it. Don't When you hear the accusation of the enemy, well, if you hadn't done this, then this would have happened, you begin to tell him as a liar. You just need to learn what all of God's promises are. And then you can start uh, believing in those promises, start declaring those promises over your life. See, we, we don't build up our faith muscles sometimes. We don't, we don't recognize that we are led by our feelings, and we think our feelings are what we believe. Your feelings are just how you felt right then. And sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. And I love having feelings. I love it. My wife got home uh, yesterday from the women's retreat. I had good feelings about her coming home. We'll just leave it right there. I love my feelings. But listen, I can't live my life based on my feelings. Because honestly, there's some times when we go through things that she's not that excited when I get home. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's about living a life of faith, developing faith, letting our faith muscle get strong. Well, how do we do that? Well, the Word of God tells us, Romans 10. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And listen, it's great that you're hearing it today. It's a great way to build up our faith, to be to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be, to be reminded about some things. But listen, you need to be saying the word of God over yourself all the time. You need to know God's promises. You need to understand God's promises so that you can say them over yourself all the time. Listen, you don't have to quote it perfectly. Just speak the goodness of God. God, I thank you that you're for me. Go to the word, find some scripture, and begin to stand on the word of God. Okay, so we say, okay, Richie, that sounds... Well and good, but the promise that we're looking at from Romans chapter 4 was for Abraham and his seed. Isn't that just for the children of Israel? Well, let me show you how Paul addressed that in Galatians chapter 3. It says, if you are Christ, meaning if you're a child of God, not if you'd live perfectly, but if you're a child of God, then you are Abraham's seed, and watch this, heirs according to the promise. See, the problem is way too many people see God, our Heavenly Father, as someone who is incredibly cruel all the time. Somebody who's constantly disappointed with them. Just so you know, that's not God. I don't care if somebody portrayed it that way or if your parents were that way or somebody that influenced you was that way and that's the kind of the template that you see God as, God is a good God. There's not anything that you ever do that takes him by surprise. When you blew it, missed it, he knew it was coming. All right? So he's never disappointed in you. He's disappointed for you sometimes because he recognized, man, when we start doing wrong things, say wrong things, there's some junk that we invite into our life, but God is a good God. In in fact, Jesus shared in Luke chapter 15, the love the father has for us. He, he was helping us understand through this thing that we call the prodigal son, but it really should be the father's love. And and he's talking about this, the the prodigal son returns home. Y'all know, most of you know the story. Son goes off, jacks with his inheritance, ends up in the pig pen. How many of y'all found yourself in a pig pen before? Right, comes back home, and he's rehearsing a speech about what he's going to say to his dad. Dad, I, I've done this, and I, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Just make me a servant, all this stuff. And the father runs to him. That didn't happen in that culture. And the father begins to say, bring out the robe, bring out the ring, put sandals on his feet. We're going to celebrate. And it's easy for us a lot of times to identify with the prodigal son. It's easy for us to recognize when we've gotten ourselves in the pit and we've gotten away from God. But what we often fail to recognize is how easy it is for us to actually be the older brother. Now, some of you don't know the story, but the older brother was mad that they were celebrating that his son had come home. Because we've been home for a while now. And hey, what's wrong with those people? Why are they living like that? And so where we... When we were the prodigal son, we were so thankful for God's grace, but once we've been home for a while and we're kind of getting some things straightened out, now suddenly we become very judgmental towards other people. It's probably the second service that this probably applies to more. So we're serving God. We're, we're doing all the right things, but we always feel when we're serving God in that, if we don't understand how God really actually loves us, is that God's looking for just a little bit more from us. He, he, he wants a little bit more, and, and if you read two verses, he wishes you would have read three. And if you prayed for 15 minutes, he wishes you would have prayed for 20. Now, does God want us to grow and mature in things? Absolutely. But we're, we're, we're straining a lot of times when the Bible says that the only, the only thing that we are labor to, to do is to enter into God's rest. To enter into, God, you love me. And now because I know that God loves me, it begins to change me on the inside out. And suddenly I want to spend time in his word. And I want to show up to church. I want to serve on the dream team. I want to go through the growth track. I want to get in a small group. I want to do the things that, that, that God's kind of leading us to do as a church because I'm recognizing how perfectly God loves us. So we're thinking that he wants just a little bit more. And so when we see God pour out his love to someone else, it's easy for us to get a little bit angry about that and get a little frustrated that we've been waiting for God to do something in our lives and we see somebody that has been living incredibly unrighteous away from God come in and watch God do a miracle. It causes if we're not careful, to become angry. And it's because we have been laboring and serving, honestly acting like a servant rather than a son. Acting like a hireling rather than an heir. You want to know why the Dream Team people show up every Sunday and serve and do all the things they do around here? Because they recognize this is part of their inheritance. That they're heirs, they are sons and daughters serving in the house of God, but they're not servants, they're not here to be laborers. They're here to serve the house of God because they recognize the eternal purpose that's happening here today. So we get angry when God blesses others. And we say something similar to what the the older brother said to his dad. You've never even given me a small goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. You see, the older brother didn't really understand the love his father actually had for him. He he didn't wrap his mind around it. He didn't actually understand that he was an heir. He he knew that one day he would be, but what his father wanted him to understand is you're not going to be an heir. You're actually an heir right now. In fact, that's why he said to him, you're always with me. When he was complaining about us having the party for them, he said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. The father would have been more than happy for him to take more than a goat. He could have taken a cow. He could have taken, it was his to give. See, I think our Heavenly Father wants us to know that the best is yet to come. That you're an heir of the Most High God. And God wants to do in your life the exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or all that we can think, according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So why isn't this happening in our lives sometimes? I think it's a fair question. Yeah, thank you. Because when we get into a series like this, that the best is yet to come, sometimes we're wondering why we aren't seeing the results of God's goodness and favor showing up in our lives. And I I think there's probably several reasons why we aren't seeing the results that God's word promises us in our lives. But one of them is timing. It it really is. I've discovered that God's timing is not mine. I wanted to get married when I was about probably 16 years old. I did you know I was I was a young man red-blooded young man I'm ready to get married at 16 years of old I'm glad that my timing was not God's timing mainly because my wife would have been 11 at the time which is a little awkward even in most states in the United States so I've discovered that my timing is not God's timing But he's God and I'm not. I think he knows a little bit more than I do. So I can actually rest and trust his timing. So if I know my God's good, I don't waffle all the time because his timing is not my timing. Another reason is sometimes I'm just not ready. You you know, of course I always think that I'm ready. Right? That, That I can handle whatever it is that God wants to bless me with. But sometimes God wants to develop some character in us. He wants to develop some perseverance in us. He wants to develop some things in us so that the blessing that he brings into our life actually doesn't destroy us. Well, Pastor Richie, that could never happen. Have you ever seen anybody that's won the lottery and seen statistics on that about how quickly they lose all of their money and become destitute, how their families become destroyed because of winning the lottery? I'm not against winning the lottery as long as you're tithing on it. Can I say that today? <laughs> heard, a, heard about a pastor once in Florida that his wife actually won the lottery. And, you know, of course, that was when you really didn't gamble. And, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not recommending gambling, but, you know, you've got to work that out yourself a little bit. Um, but uh, but uh, anyway, so he gets up on Sunday. knows it's going to be a very controversial thing. Gets up and says, God forgives, let him. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn with me, if you would. But there's one reason in particular of why we don't see God's favor that I want to talk about today that I think that you and I can participate in and that we can make some adjustments in our life so that the best that is yet to come starts showing up in our lives a lot quicker. And it's this. Sometimes our behavior when we're violating God's word is keeping us from God's greater levels of favor. Let me, let me, let me say that again. Sometimes our behavior... When we're violating God's word Is keeping us from God's greater levels of favor Let me give you an an easy example It's one that I share And I'm pretty transparent with y'all And our small group We we kind of freak our small group out I think every once in a while It's just our marriage You know I never knew that pastors fought Growing up I I thought that pastors Just had amazing marriages That never had issues And, And I've discovered that we're like everyone else. We really are. We, we deal with things just like y'all deal with. And, and sometimes we, we, how many of you know today that God wants you to have an incredible marriage? Go ahead, go ahead and hold your hands up because your spouse is going to be looking at you today. All right. How many of you know something from God's word that teaches you how to have an incredible marriage? Well, uh, yeah, I think it's that she's here to serve me. Or I think this one, um, and Sarah called Abraham Lord, right? That might be the extent of the word we know. All right, let me read one for the guys today, and I'm not going to teach on marriage, though from the giggles today probably would have been a great subject to teach on. One for the guys from Ephesians chapter 5, which is a great verse on marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, let me say that again, Ephesians chapter 5, y'all might want to write that one down. It says this, for us men, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We are to love, husbands, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Was, was, you can get some amen from the ladies today. Now, was, was Christ's love conditional? Was he gonna do the right thing if we did the right thing? Is, is God going to be faithful if we're faithful? No. We are to love our wives just as Christ loves the church. Well, Pastor Richie, if she would just change, I would change. Listen, I spent a lot of time trying to change other people. Not just my wife, other people in my life. And I'm telling you, you can't change anybody. Here's what you can do. You can change you. And when you change you, you begin to change people around you. And I'm telling you, dads, moms, husbands, Just husbands, sorry. Husbands, if you will love your wife as Christ loved the church, you'll begin to have an incredible marriage. Now, you might need to fix fix some stuff. Y'all are looking at me kind of funny. Now, here's the deal. I don't have to do that. Will God still love me? Yes. Am I still righteous? Yes. But I'm not going to have the incredible marriage... That God actually wants me to have. I'm going to survive in my marriage rather than thrive in my marriage. So here's the deal. You can be righteous and follow God's plan and be blessed. Or you can be righteous and not follow God's plan and limit his blessing in your life. I don't think that you're going to be cursed because, listen, the Bible says that God causes it to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. There's a level of blessing that's because of God's goodness. It oozes out on all of us. But you're going to miss the fullness of the blessing that God has for you. See, the question that you and I have to ask and answer uh, dealing with this issue of the best that that is yet to come is which righteous person do you want to be? And probably the best biblical example that we have of the results of these contrasting choices is Abraham and Lot in the book of Genesis. It's found in chapters uh, 13 through 19, but listen to this. Abraham, the guy that we've been looking at, the, the heir of the promise that we are the seed of, had a nephew named Lot. And Abraham brought Lot with him when he left the land that God had called him to inherit with him, but Lot was a lot of trouble. Both these men, though, were blessed by God. In fact, they are so blessed by God that their flocks and herds are, are so large, the ground can't actually uh, contain both of them. It can't, there's just not enough ground for them to have. So they decide that they're going to, we need to part ways. You, get, you need to go this way, I'll go this way. And so Abraham, the uncle who actually had the choice, could have said, I'm going this way, said, which way do you want to go? Whichever way you go, I'll go. Lot looked at the well-watered plains and said, that's where I'm going to go. Which, by the way, just because something looks incredible, doesn't mean that it always is incredible. You might have what looks to be an incredible opportunity. It could be a good thing, but if it's not a God thing, I'm telling you, you don't want it in your life. In fact, uh, Genesis chapter 13, verse 12 says this, that Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. So Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom, eventually ends up living there. Listen, you don't have to be a, a Bible scholar to, to have heard about the issue of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, culturally, we kind of get that. You, when you hear of these two cities' names, you normally think of wickedness, and it represents a sinful lifestyle. Because here's what happens. Some Christians think that because I'm righteous by faith and under God's grace, I can live a sinful lifestyle. And we can learn a lot from Lot. Y'all like the play on words I'm using there today? Notice he first, he saw Sodom, then he went towards Sodom, and eventually he ended up in Sodom. I've heard it this way, and many of you have too. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. So what did Lot end up paying? First, he was captured. Four kings come and attack and plunder Sodom. Abraham with his 300 plus servants, they were the original 300. With those servants, they attacked the four kings and rescued Lot and all the people of Sodom. Did Lot learn his lesson? Did, Did Lot move away from Sodom? No, he went right back and moved right back in. Listen, and I've watched this over the years in so many Christians' lives, that God bails them out, does a miracle, a provision, healing, restoration. And rather than moving away from Sodom, the thing that is causing the damage in their life, they run right back to it. They don't position themselves to walk in the best that is yet to come. The things that God has for them, the, the fullness of life that God really wants for them. And even though they are righteous, still are. They are dealing with all kinds of emotional issues and have all kinds of drama in their life all the time. See, Pastor Richie, is that me? Are you struggling with a lot of emotional issues and do you have a lot of drama in your life? You might want to consider what I'm saying today. Listen, eventually God has to forcefully deliver Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah. In the process, he loses his wife and everything that he has. He gets out there, uh, out of there with his two daughters and the clothes on his back. In fact, here's 2 Peter's account of it when it says this. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn, condemn them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. See, this story isn't just in the Bible so we have some historical account. It's given to you and I as an example so that we can learn from it so that we can begin to understand some things. And in the next verse, we see God's faithfulness, both God's faithfulness and the things that Lot went through. And God delivered righteous Lot. I man, when I, when I discovered this a couple of years ago, I didn't realize that Lot was righteous the way he was living. But, and God delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man, dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Listen, there's so much trouble that we can save ourselves from simply by choosing to be righteous like Abraham instead of Lot. Because when we truly understand what Jesus did to make us righteous, to qualify us for the inheritance that he has, the best that is yet to come, we will fall out of love with sin and in love with God. And so we can go to the word of God and learn how righteous people live. So that we can learn how to understand that God's not punishing us when we violate the Word of God. There's a punishment already built into it. When we're ugly towards people, there's a punishment that happens. We, we damage a relationship. We feel horrible. So we should read the Word of God. Memorize the Word of God. Study the Word of God. Listen, it's not some legalistic thing. First thing you can do in the morning, you need to get up and spend some time in the Word of God. Turn off Facebook. I used to say, pick up the newspaper. My wife said, honey, you're so old. Don't say newspaper. No one reads that anymore. Turn off Facebook. Put your computer down. Get into the Word of God. Let the Word of God get into you so you can understand the heirs that we are and all the promises that we're heirs of. Then we'll begin to understand the value of living a life that's in alignment with God's purpose and plan in our lives so that we understand the best is yet to come. Is this making sense today? I want to close today with a story that I read some time ago, and I want to read it because I'm, I'm almost through with my time. A woman inherited a, a diamond from her mother who got it from her mother and had been in the family for three generations, and no one really knew where it came from or the value of the worth that it had, and in fact, half the time, they didn't even know where it actually was. And one day, she runs across it again and just decided to take it to a jeweler in order to get it appraised. So she begins to tell this jeweler the, the story and as she watches him, he sits down at his work table and switches on a light. He puts on the jeweler's loop in his eye and he begins to look at it. He notices the way it refracted the light, how it's cut, the brightness of it, the clarity of it. And all of a sudden his eyes pop wide open. The loop falls out of his eyes, breathing becomes shallow. He jumps up and he's shouting, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, over and over again. It's amazing. He claps his hand, pumps his fist, kisses the stone, he holds it up to the light coming through the window. He says, Man, this is so wonderful. In all my years of being a jeweler, for 30 years, I've never seen anything like this. Of all the stones I've ever examined, there's not one that is like this. In fact, it may be worth everything that I've ever seen put together. The diamond is an ancient, unique stone, and there is not one like it in the world. In fact, there's no one in the world alive today who knows how to cut a diamond like this. This diamond is priceless and irreplaceable. The man couldn't contain himself. His mind, body, and emotions and will are all involved in expressing his admiration of the stone. He is acknowledging with his whole being the value of what he is holding in his hand. From watching the jeweler's response, the, the woman begins to understand its value too. And she joins in in the celebration. Finally, now she takes it carefully into her hands and she heads for home. On the way home, she begins to realize that she had not been living in accordance with the value of the stone. She knows now that her life will be changed forever now that she understands the value of the stone. And I I wonder this morning how many of our lives would be changed if we actually begin to understand the value of the righteousness that Christ has provided for us, that it's in our lives simply because of what Jesus Christ has done, if we begin to really understand what Christ dying for us provided for us, Christianity is not a, a checkbox, it's not a I read my Bible, I went to church. It's a 24-7, 365 thing that God wants operating in our life. What we want to have is an Abrahamic kind of faith. The kind of faith that trusts in the goodness of God. And we start living our lives accordingly. Are we patient with ourselves? Absolutely. That when we miss the mark, not if, but when we miss the mark, we get up and we remind ourselves, that's not who I am. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus I'm going to figure out how righteous people act See this is going to be a year For many of you that are going to believe this series And believe this message That God's goodness and mercy Is going to come on your life, overtake your life And you're going to be overwhelmed by the goodness of God You're going to know In your heart of hearts that the best Is yet to come So we've got to go to the word of God so we can declare the word of God. And I want us to declare the word of God like David. In fact, guys, if you'll throw that scripture up on the screen, I'm going to ask all of us to read this out loud together. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's say it again. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One more time. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Listen, David had so much confidence in God's goodness and mercy. He knew the best was yet to come. And you think your life was tough. He was chased by his father-in-law. You think you got challenged with your in-laws? I don't. But if you think you have got challenged with your in-laws, I want you to know his in-laws are trying to kill him. And yet he knew that the best was yet to come. That it would surely happen. Not maybe, not probably, not perhaps, but Surely. Surely, goodness and mercy, and the phrase here, follow me, isn't strong enough. The Hebrew word literally means to pursue, to hunt down. David was so confident in God's love that he recognized, no matter where I go, God's goodness and mercy is going to hunt me down. Goodness and mercy is going to wake up every day, and it's looking for me, it's looking for you. It's waking up every day so that all the days of our life, we can dwell in the presence of God. And that's not just about going to church. That's about having God in our life 24-7, 365, every moment of every day. We're about ready to make a business decision. The presence of God is in our life. God says, don't do that. We would make a decision not to do it, and later on we find out why. We're, we're at the right place at the right time. We don't have to struggle to, to promote ourselves in front of people. Just at the right place at the right time, God's goodness and mercy is going to show up in our lives, and extraordinary things are going to happen. I'm telling you, this has happened in many of your lives and I know many of your stories and sometimes we forget, we didn't even recognize that it was a God counter. The best is yet to come. I'm telling you, the word of God is so full of so many promises today. Let's be righteous like Abraham. I'm going to ask you just to bow your head.